everybody. Welcome to Voxology Podcast. Hello. This is uh, Michael Carl Erie. Timothy John Stafford. I'm going to try to speak fast today so no one has to listen at 1.5 times speed, which evidently is a very popular way to listen to our podcast. Yes. So I'm going to talk much faster and hopefully at variable time. So you have to listen to every single (laughs) syllable. Now, today is the uh, first day when we're recording anyway. Today is the first day of of Seth Erie's school year. It's a half day. So Seth Erie may... First day of school on a Friday. On a Friday. I think, you know what? I think it's for busing. I think they're working out all the bus routes and um, they do like a little, you know, intro to the school year assembly or something and then that's it. But I think think it's for the bus drivers. That's my my suspicion. Yeah, I I agree. It's nonsense. And Seth Erie, I mean, it took maybe 40 conversations yesterday. And I'm not exaggerating. Four zero conversations with Seth Erie talking about tomorrow is school. Summer is over. (laughs) And he would just keep asking, Daddy, next Monday school? Yes, son. Next Wednesday school? Yes, son. Um, tomorrow school? Yes. Short day though. We all we all mourn in different ways. We all mourn Some of in us different mourn ways. By asking lots of questions. Yes, lots of questions. So yesterday, I said, "All right, what do you want to do for the last day of summer?" And so yesterday, we went to McDonald's for breakfast because he loves mango smoothies. Zaxby's mm. for lunch because uh, Chick Fil A is downgraded. He says. That's right. And then uh, we went swimming. At a friend's at a friend's pool, he and I for a couple it's of hours day. in the jacuzzi and the pool. Absolutely, absolutely great day. Except for, Daddy, school tomorrow. Yes, <laughs> bus. Yes, yes. Um, so this morning, but but this morning he was up, he was ready to go. So who knows? Could be glorious. Anyway, all that is to say that was just intended to let you know that I may get up in the middle of the recording and run out and grab Seth, in which case he will make a very special appearance because he literally says every Friday, Daddy Podcast, yes. And then every Monday, waiting for it to come out so we can play it on his iPad, um, he will be asking about Tim Stafford. So, And we all That's do. Right. We all do. I do too. Yeah, absolutely you do. What happened to that guy? <laughs> yeah, what's up with that guy? What's every morning up? in the mirror, I'm like, what happened to Tim? You know? What happened? I- and you're the better looking of the two of us. So what hope is there? <laughs> I don't know. All that is to say, I've got some people to thank. Because, yeah, yeah. because as we have said ad nauseum, we are a crowdfunded nonprofit. We have a board who is bored, but we have a board. And... Um, and so there's this whole community of people who support the podcast. And, and for that, we are, I don't, even, I'm t- I don't even have new words. I'm just so, <laughs> we're so incredibly grateful. So I want to thank Leonard. I think Leonard might be our first Leonard on the uh, yeah, support team. That feels fresh. It feels fresh. Tim, Liz and Jack from Voxology, uh, or Vox community came back on. So welcome oh, nice. back. Welcome back. Liz and Jack, boom, <laughs> and then Chris and Matthew came on uh, the tithe.ly platform. And, and as always, we're grateful. You can find out more of Voxology Podcast.com. 
which is our website now that has a color palette and is awesome. Um, so anyway, thanks to all of you. So, so grateful for that. Tim texted me this morning with some breaking news. And, um, and this is big. This is big. This is uh, big. This is big. Tim, do you want to announce the thing that had caught your attention before 7 a.m. this morning? Yeah, what was it? I don't even remember. Come on, Cracker Barrel, let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is, is the Cracker Barrel menu getting woke? Meat eaters yes. rage on Facebook over addition of impossible sausage. And that's it? Did you read the article? No. No. But I thought it was that was the first news headline that popped up on my phone this morning. I was like, all right, here we are, 2022. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Things we never thought we would read about. Um, is nothing safe? Is nothing holy? Even Cracker Barrel <laughs> has fallen to the wokeness. Oh. And I love that the, that the woke... Uh, Oh, Label. Man, Kevin sent us that. Oh, it's from the New New Evangelicals. The they had hit one of the guys on there did a history of the term woke. Yeah, which was all new information to me, like where it comes from. Because I like you know Phil over on our cousin podcast, Holy Post. Yes, Holy Post. Sweet Phil. Um, always talks about how he's getting accused of being woke, but it was interesting to see the origin of that. Yeah, term. Well, now menus Lead can Valley. be woke, evidently. Yeah. So because previously our only reference to Lead Belly was Nirvana Unplugged. Um, where did you sleep nice. last night? Tim, are you going to get but some yeah. emails now about being factually incorrect? No, that one was true. Lead Belly okay. said it. They even had the audio clip. Lead Belly. It was when uh, those nine black boys were accused of raping two white girls in Scottsboro, Alabama, in nineteen thirty-one. And he said, best stay woke and keep their eyes open because Ooh. of just like telling the African-American community, like you need to, white people are looking to incriminate and to harm. So it's best to keep your eyes open and stay woke. And then somebody published that in the 60s. And then it became as another thing of being, hey, pay attention, keep your eyes open. Mm. And then when Michael Brown was killed, it uh, became part of our... Mm-hmm vernacular I th i'm pretty sure that's how the series of events went i can right. get an email to if not but you i thought it was really interesting because now it's become like a coin that conservatives throw around at anybody who does anything on totally. behalf of somebody else and it's pretty wild but it's interesting to hear the history of the term yeah and applied to cracker barrel which is its own racist <laughs> kind of history <laughs> yeah. um <Right? laughs> <laughs> so oh man i know america is like one big saturday night live skit oh just, i don't even how do you even how do you even satirize what's happening i just don't I, even know you can't so we get about a zillion wonderful thought-provoking great question emails and um and this is yet another one that i've asked permission to share uh because there's some details here but but the question ultimately is i'm really having a I'm really having trouble being Christ-like in two situations. And mm. my first response just is just two. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Number one, my adult uh, sister and I have difficulty connecting recently. Uh, she has an on-again, off-again boyfriend who she has lived with in the past and frequently uh, stays the night with. While I was raised in purity culture, I really could care less about her living with the guy. The biggest challenge is that he really does seem to value my sister only 
uh, for helping to take care of his two-year-old daughter from another relationship and then helping clean things up around the house. Recently, my parents told me that she finds it difficult to connect with me because when we do talk, she feels like I judge her. I really try not to judge her and I love her uh, in our conversations, but when she talks about this guy, I have a difficult time saying anything good about him. And uh, when she tells me about their relationship, I have a hard time affirming it. This guy really seems to value himself, alcohol, and video games over my sister. It's hard to affirm anything about the relationship. <laughs> what does it look like to be Christ-like towards my sister without being judgmental? <laughs> First of all, I mean, brothers, there, there is a brother bias towards uh, other guys who date their sisters. So that is, so let's just affirm that this could be and probably is an expression of deep love for your sister. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is a pretty solid three point values himself, alcohol and video games. Was that what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a rough yeah. three. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> I think that that is a, uh, a summary job description of a lot of, uh, a lot of us these days. Um, <laughs> so, so, I don't know, Tim. I mean, the last thing I am, as you know, is um, totally relationally aware and um, <laughs> filled with emotional intelligence. But I have thoughts. That doesn't stop me. I'm learning. I'm learning, Timothy. Aren't um, we all? I, we, aren't we all? Um, so, so first of all, um, even uh, here, I, I can only speak from my experience. I love the question, how can I be Christ-like? So, th so yeah. that's perfect. In a very practical setting. Very practical. So Christ-like doesn't mean just always keep your mouth shut and never say what's on your mind. Um, Christ-like is about also about how you have those kinds of conversations. So, um, so I have a couple of thoughts. One, if she already knows that you disapprove of the guy, then, then now is the time to shut your face and, and because she's an adult, let her live her life and choose to love who she loves. One of the core commitments that we've made, my wife and I, towards our children who are now adult children, has been we love who they love and we love what they love. Now, there have been times when we have felt the need to offer wisdom, crino, but um, like my son, my oldest son who's 19, our relationship has changed so much in the last couple of years uh, from, from living at home to now going into a sophomore year of college. I asked him, we were sitting in a jacuzzi where we have great conversations. And I said, all right, son, what is the best way to approach you oh, when I have a concern or a piece of advice that you may or may not welcome? Yeah. Um, and I will do, I said, I, my, my, my promise will be to not do this often and to be very careful about, you know, um, of not overdoing or nagging about things. Right. But, but I, I still want, as your dad, I still want a place in your life to be able to speak things or ask questions that aren't meant to judge or accuse or communicate that somehow you're disappointed a disappointment to me because you're not at all and there's nothing you can do that will change that yeah but how can i best have that have a conversation with you and so we came up with a little system 
And um, but but for me, the important part was even thinking to ask that question. Absolutely. Like that was the victory was just that. So maybe maybe there's a conversation with your sister that goes, you know what? I'm sorry, I've been so freaking judgmental. Here's how the situation looks to me. I humble myself and ask your forgiveness. You are an adult. I trust you. I love you, and I will support whatever you support. Um, and she may react great to that conversation or she may react poorly, but what you've done is you've led with apology and not defensiveness. You've led with honesty and not, you know, passive aggression. You've led with, uh, a direct confrontation of the issue, uh, admitting you're at fault. Um, and this, cause this has nothing to do with the other guy. This has to do with whether or not you're trustworthy in her eyes about the things that are that are truly important in her mind and um, you don't want to burn that relationship for the sake of having to prove that you're right or something and so yeah. for the sake of the longer relationship i would just ask her forgiveness and i would ask her help on hey how can i best like be a brother to you in the midst of this um and see what she says and she so i would lead with apology and ask questions yeah Okay, boom. Yeah, I would do the exact same. Yeah, but you'd do it better. Um, number two, <laughs> same person. I work as a physician assistant in a pain medicine clinic. We see lots of patients who have chronic, long-standing pain that are often burnt or stigmatized by the medical system. Man, I can't imagine. We have a lot of patients who are chronic opio uh, who are chronic opioid medication users. And have many that we treat with procedures. Frequently, I meet patients who appear to be drug-seeking or who are addicted to pain meds, but many do not recognize it themselves. There is often a tension between what the patient wants and what is medically the right thing to do. Any advice on what it looks like to be Christ-like to them in those situations? I genuinely believe that a lot of these people are, are in chronic pain, but starting them on a very addictive medication isn't always the best answer even if it relieves the pain i know neither of y'all are in medicine but advice on not being over these patients that i genuinely want to help oh my goodness well just asking that both of these identifying yeah. man so proud of you for, i mean that's the biggest thing is just like awakening being yeah, the there's an you start from totally Oh, and I can't even imagine the ethical dilemmas or the pressure of sitting across from somebody who has no resources and is in terrible pain and you darn well, yeah, this geez. is where the road's going to lead. So I can't even relate to the pressures therein. All I know is that the posture of the kingdom is the posture of love and invitation. Um, and... Um, and so perhaps, and I'm speaking totally off, you know, off any area of expertise or wisdom or whatever, to simply say, if I, if I found myself in those situations, um, I would invite uh, the patients to consider that although their pain is real and legitimate, opioids aren't the best circumstance. Again, I would, I would stay away from telling and ordering only as a last resort I would lead with the invitation of, listen, um, I see a lot of folks in here who are in the same place you are, and here's, here's the trajectory of where I see some of these things go. 
and I just don't think in good, I can in good conscience prescribe something for you that I think is going to set up more serious problems down the road. And I, um, I would try to find a way to invite people into that conversation before I would just sort of say, listen, it's a yes or no. I would try to posture myself as, as somebody trying to understand their story. And I'm sure you already do this for crying out loud, but it's the posture we have. I don't think you have to apologize for trying to help. And, and in this instance, and certainly not in every instance, but as a medical professional, like implied is expertise. People don't trust expertise a lot of places, but they still trust it. Well, I don't even, I was going to say they still trust the medical field, but I don't even know that's true. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's probably true. But I think there's impli an implied contract between you and the person that you have greater wisdom than they do about this. And, um, and so I wouldn't shy away from saying, listen, I'm not sure this is, this is going to be a long-term solution for you. So even if you were to start them on medication for the short term, and this is, this is how medical professionals handled me when I started medication for depression and anxiety, uh, they give you something called uh, benzodiazepines, which are short-acting, short, they, they get out of your system really quickly. But, but some of them, they're on a spectrum of habit-forming. Some of them are really habit-forming. Some of them take a little bit to become habit-forming. But they tell you this is only a step until the greater medication that isn't habit-forming uh, kind of takes over. And so, I mean, I'm, I, I feel so lame even speaking to this question. But, but the, the thing that initially came in is you can use expertise as a bludgeon or you can use expertise as an invitation. And um, I'm sure you already do. Even the fact that you even answered, asked the question suggests you're already beyond this point. But if, but if for some reason a reminder would help of, of sitting alongside the person and, and assuming the posture of the kingdom, which is love and honesty and kindness and gentleness and invitation, then I, I do think there have to be times when out of the, uh, the larger concern for the person, you say no to their requests. And, um, and I think that permission at least used to be implied. Um, I don't know how it is these days when you're sitting across from somebody who's literally begging you for relief. I don't have any idea how that goes, but those are just initial thoughts. Tim, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, that I, it's interesting. This is why I love the emails so much because this question, this scenario is not something I've ever thought about like posturing in this way, in this specific thing. And I can't imagine this is, it instantly makes me think of the gray area of navigating kingdom dynamics or whatever. Cause it's like, I can't imagine how many people this person sees on a daily basis or how often this conversation is had and yeah. how exhausting that must be emotionally and like even physically just re-engaging over and over and over on an interpersonal level with all these people. And yep. Yep. I last or two weeks ago, I taught at a church and yes. taught in the Lord's prayer and I've been trying to implement one of the challenges was to, Hey, what if you set a calendar thing and you, and you try to pray this prayer three times a day, like the Shema or something like that and do, and kind of re-engage with it and see how that restructures your day to, you know, make God hallowed and kind of appreciate where God sits in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, your life and then kind of how you sit amongst other people 
it was like a and it's become such an interesting way of reposturing myself throughout the day in all the different scenarios that pops up yeah and it's been really helpful for me and i feel like that if i was in that position i would have to constantly do that to be yeah to to like clean the slate and be able to walk into every one of those conversations as like intentionally and as postured correctly as I could yeah. just to just, you know, that cause that's gotta be, I cannot imagine how exhausting that must be. Oh, I can't imagine either. And the, um, one of the things that I've, I've, I have a couple of friends that are doctors and the pressure on them to prescribe antibiotics for everything. Like you literally mm. go to the doctor, expect to come out with a prescription. And if you don't, you know, you write negative reviews or whatever. <coughs> and it's just, a, it's a brutal environment. Yeah. And I almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you have to have these terrifically enforceable boundaries, you know, which sort of robs you of really being kind. Not, not of course, totally. internally, yeah, yeah, but yeah, appearing but, that. Yeah. Because you'll just see it, it, you'll just get manipulated like crazy. So I, I just applaud. The biggest thing is, I, and, and the reason I wanted to read it wasn't because we were going to have great answers. That is never the case. <laughs> it was because you were so wise to ask the question in such a tangible and profound way. So we're so yeah. proud of you. The greater project of Christ-alikeness is something, you know, I don't know that we've spent a ton of time on, and that would be very interesting. That's actually a good idea. Yeah, totally. Um, because you have the classic spiritual disciplines, um, but they can be they can be done in ways that actually are that create old creation dynamics of legalism and fear and shame and I'm disappointing God, or they can be done in ways that provoke new creation dynamics. And um, and so part of the part of the danger, of course, is um, of just trying real hard to. Um, you know, just to become better. Well, I just need to try harder to be more loving. And it's like, well, that, that, that's a great intention, but that's not the whole of the conversation. Anyone who's, you know, right. it, it walked through self-help or recovery or 12 steps or whatever will tell you, you know, there, there are relational postures that have to be assumed before you do the steps for the steps to matter. Um, and, um, and, and so too with, with pursuing Jesus. Um, I think, you know, immersing yourself in the Sermon on the Mount is when, it, when is, you know, what it is one of the best possible things you can do. Praying the Lord's Prayer um, every day, best possible thing you can do. Being in a community of people where you're real, um, that's one of the best things you can do. Yeah. Finding a good therapist or a spiritual counselor, um, you know, director, one of the best things you can do. So in, in that whole interconnected web of word, spirit, and community, that's where, you know, the stuff of real life provokes these fissures in us that allows grace to sort of come in and, um, and do its work. So anyway, that's, a, that's just a topic for another day. Yeah, it's a good topic, though. You're a good topic. But anyway, Tim Stafford. Yes. I had promised. I, I, I had promised we were done. 
You did. With light. But this isn't the first time. If you're saying that I am in violation of letting my yes be yes and my no be no, you are correct. <laughs> and that certainly is not the first time. But I was thinking, Tim, the, the great gift of this community, besides just the incredible intellectual stimulation that the questions and comments provide, yeah. is that this is a place where I learn the most. Not you, Timothy. Mm. I. I do too. Nope, I'm the biggest learner. I'm sorry. That's why I hope if we get down to five listeners, you'll still be willing to do it. Absolutely. We may have five listeners right now. And, um, you know, and there, we pay this, they pay this crew of people in India just to listen to it over and over and over on Spotify. Um, but I wanted to talk one, I wanted to take one last run at the conversation about sharing your faith. And I'm using air yeah. quotes dramatically. So let's read a text from Genesis, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Genesis 28, Jacob is on the run. And uh, he left Beersheba, just so you know, and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, it's fascinating that in the first sentence, we get two place names, Beersheba and Haran. And then it just says he reached a certain place, <laughs> right? Right. It's just like, <laughs> okay, like, is that certain place a place we would all know? Or it's just, it's interesting that that, that, is, that phrase is used after we're naming places because he's on the move totally. and geography matters in the Bible. And all of a sudden there's just, well, he just reached a certain place. Okay. <laughs> all right. And... And you kind of go, okay, well, that's interesting. And so there must not have been anything particularly special about the place. I think that's what the author yeah. is saying, right? There's nothing, there's no altar, there's no well, there's no like my ancestor, so-and-so, you know, ate lunch here with angels. I mean, there's just nothing, nothing unique about the place. It's just a place. He just reached a yeah. certain place, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so the sun had set, he goes to bed. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. A stairway to heaven, if you will. Yeah, and yeah. the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood Yahweh, the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abram and, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Well, that's interesting because in the ancient Near East, gods were thought to be local and uh, right. they were attached to places and they were bordered. So you came into the region of another nation and there the God was, you know, the God of that nation is the God that's present there. And, and we're not, we're not told at all that, that uh, Jacob has left uh, the boundaries of what will become the promised land. But it's a bit of a surprise that at a certain place, at an unusual place, at a just, well, not yeah. unusual, but just a, a normal place, just a usual place, a common place, a weird place that God appears, right? It's yeah. just weird. And Jacob <laughs> awoke from a sleep. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And the Lord responded by saying, don't call me Shirley. And don't call me Shirley. Surely the <laughs> Lord is in this place. 
And then notice what he says. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other, none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. And so, we, so we find out later, he names the place Beth-El. Beth, Bet is house, El, short for Elohim, the house of God. So it's a fascinating story because Jacob, what surprises Jacob isn't that God appeared to him. It was that God was in that place. That was the surprise. The surprise wasn't that God appeared. God appeared to him before. And God yeah. had made this pro- the promise about the land before. What was surprising is where God appeared. And he yeah. appeared in just this ordinary, common, mundane place. Yeah, like, a re- like a rest stop. Yeah, yes. Not even a rest stop. You're between rest stops because rest stops would be numbered. <laughs> It's like, I just got, I'm I'm on a back road and I'm really tired and oh, here's this little gravel like turnoff. And the last thing you would think about such a place in the ancient Near East is that it would be holy or sacred or something. And yet God kind of reveals himself in this powerful dream and vision. Um, and, And there's a similar thing that happens in Exodus where Moses, uh, this is Exodus 3. So Moses was tending the flock of Jethro Tull, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? Great question. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God (laughs) called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses said, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you were standing is, and the text says, holy ground. Now, we have this language that we use that betrays, like, we all know that God is everywhere, but we have language that betrays our real theology. Like we'll say things, and I'm guilty of this. We'll say things like, and God showed up. Yes. You know, God showed up, man. God showed up as if he were off somewhere else. And our, our singing was so impressive that God showed right. up. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up a whoa, second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to check this out. Dude, you're doing the fourth refrain of the third bridge. Come on now. <laughs> Right? And God showed up. Or, or we'll, have, we'll have a statement, you know, and, and this is old missionary language, but like, I'm, I'm going to go take Jesus somewhere. Right? I'm going to go represent right. Christ in this dark region or this unreached people group. So I'm going to take Jesus. And um, in the Bible, what's interesting is there's this whole deep theology of the fact that God keeps showing up in non-sacred, non-religious spaces. And so... I mean, here's Jacob, an ordinary place. Hey, I'm doing laundry. And then right. boom, here's a vision, right? right. And he, he's like, it wasn't shocking that God revealed himself. It was shocking that God revealed him there, himself right. there. And, and Moses, Moses wasn't shocked that God revealed himself, but in this, he'd been 40 years shepherding in that wilderness. Right. How long was the bush burning is a great right. question. And the rabbis yeah. have a field day with this. Was the bush always burning? When did it become sacred ground? When Yahweh was there? When manifesting right. his presence? Or had it always been? Right? 
So, so there's this language that we use, like I'm like worship leaders will sometimes say, you know, I'm just going to usher us into the presence of God. And I just want to stand up and go, nope, he's here. <laughs> he was here before we got here. We're the ones showing up, right? Or, or in Psalm, uh, Psalm 119. I mean, and David, you couldn't be more explicit than this. I mean, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around you, even the darkness will not be dark, dark to you. The night will shine like the day and the darkness is as light to you. Okay, so where can I go exactly? Nowhere is the answer. <laughs> or Psalm 19, the, entire the entirety of the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech, revelation about what God is like. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Psalm 24, the earth, the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Or in Isaiah 6, when the, the angels near the throne sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. Or in Acts 17, when Paul says, from one man, God made all the nations of the world, that they should in inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. And he did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Right? So there's this beautiful theology um, in the Bible about, oh, and, and, and from, the, from the very earliest, we've always been told, and th this goes back to the ancients, there are special places, there are special, special things, special activities, and special times. And certainly we have grounding for that way of thinking in the Old Testament, right? I mean, the first thing that God declared holy was time. Right? Time was a Sabbath was time. Time yeah. was holy. And priests were set apart as a group that were to be holy. And um, their activities in the, in the holy place and the most holy place, you know, were sacred. And there were special times and feasts and appointed seasons that were set apart and marked off. So I get where even you know thousands and thousands and thousands of years later the religious impulse in all of us is to identify special people special times special places and special activities totally that are marked off and separated the except the bible keeps undercutting that narrative right so even solomon in dedicating the temple in first kings will say you know even though you're going to dwell in this temple of mine you're everywhere like yeah. this temple can't contain you, but God would manifest his presence. And so the Bible begins to distinguish between God's universal presence, between God's manifest presence, where human beings, when God manifests his presence, human beings know he's there. So it'll be so the light difference between or universal fire. presence and manifested presence. Yes. And the distinction between the two. Yes, 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 yes. But what happened is we began to associate his manifest presence with special times, places, you know, blah, blah, right. blah. 
So, um, so that even in church, I mean, think about church, the way church talks about itself, right? We have clergy and laity. So we have separate people mm-hmm. or pastors and staff or pastors and congregations. We have, we have church on Sunday. We've turned um, what is a noun of identity, right? So now, now we have church. So it's almost a noun of activity. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go church hard today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that is on set aside times. And yeah. we're also told that there are set apart activities like going to church, singing certain songs, All reading set, up, set apart time, place. Yep. And activity. Yep. So, so there, there is a very significant undoing of this when it comes to evangelism that we've been trying. But it, but it applies much more broadly, right? It's like worship. Um, you can tell me a thousand times that worship is what I do with my life and it relates to justice. But I'm still going to call that 20 minutes around the service worship. Yeah. You know, around the sermon worship. I just can't help it. Mm-hmm. And we have a worship team. And right, the weight of our collective imaginings is too big to be countered by these kind of throw-off pieces of abstract theology. And so we have to learn, we have to work hard at realizing that what, if evangelism is anything, and we've said it's bearing the name, um, whatever, but it's, of all evangelism is, is pointing out the work of the God who is already there and already loving people. If, if you want to reduce it down to what it is, my view, my view of, of um, Jesus following isn't that it's one ideology among competing ideologies. It's that, no, 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 Jesus is a way, in Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus, in Jesus, whatever, all of that is a way of seeing the universe. And so that means I believe that God at bottom is love, at, at core, and that Jesus reveals this God, and that this God is seeking, always seeking, and that there's not one person I come across ever and we would all agree with this. All of us would agree with this. That there's not one person ever that I come across who isn't an object of affection by the Lord God Almighty and who is, uh, and, and as an object of affection, God is working and striving and reaching and wooing and inviting and loving and blessing that person. And so my job isn't to introduce a Jesus who is somewhere else at that moment, you know, my, my job is to just point out the Jesus who were, who is already there. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and so years and years and years ago, um, Rob Bell called this radar. And that's where I first got the, uh, that's where I first heard some of this, you know, in like the early, like 2002 or something. And, um, and, and one of the things that's, that's very beautiful about Jewish spirituality is this idea that, that there are sacred seasons and, and places and whatever, but um, that says nothing about the fact that the rest of creation is drenched in divinity. Not in divinity like creation itself is divine, but that every piece of creation is shouting information about what God is like. Yeah. And if that's the case, like that psalm. yes, the psalm you read, yes. If that's the case, 
then none of us have secular jobs. Then none of us um, have, um, have like activities in our lives that are somehow not spiritual. Totally. You know what I mean? I mean, even Paul will yeah, say... Yeah, that... Go ahead, finish, sorry. No, no, dude, interject. Even Paul will say, whether you eat or drink... In your yeah. eating and drinking, do it all for the glory of God. And, and what, I love that. Yes. But see, I walk around on autopilot. And so on autopilot, I'm not thinking, I'm just, I'm, I'm in habit mode. And so if, if you know me, you know I love habit routine. I wear the same things. I eat the same things. I go the same places. Like, I just <laughs> love that. Yeah. The problem is it puts me to sleep and I'm no longer paying attention. And so there have been times yeah. in my life where I've had to purposefully disrupt or God has purposely disrupted what is normal and routine in order to wake me up to the burning bushes that are all around me. That's the yeah. lesson was that the bushes are burning all around me. There are things all around me, ways to be merciful and kind and blessing and whatever else. But I'm too busy staring at my phone where I'm too busy just, you know, getting through my day to pay attention yeah. to anything. And so the great invitation of Jesus is just to wake up. Speaking of being woke, here's where it starts, mm -hmm. right? There, there's a sense in which, and, and Jesus says this incredible line in John 5. He goes, um, he's being accused of healing on the Sabbath. And he's not just accused, he did it. And they're, you know, they're going after this poor guy that was healed. And this guy's like, I don't know. He just healed me. I, I couldn't do this. And now I can do this. What's the problem? And, um, and Jesus looks at the religious leaders and he says, my father is always at work. Which was interesting because on the Sabbath, the reason you had a Sabbath was because God ceased his work on the seventh day. And so they pick up. I don't know if they pick up rocks then, but they are offended and realize that he is making himself out to be equal with God right? by even saying that. But the, the point, the, the big point that we want to make is that there is this predisposition that we have towards only looking for God in certain places and only hearing God at certain times. Uh, or during certain activities or from certain people. And not just looking, but declaring that God is only in certain places. Yes, and yes. And that's where the celebrity, the celebrity, Christian celebrity thing just gets so horrific, yeah. right? And even on a small scale of, of pastors who insist, well, you have to call me pastor. It's Pastor Mike. It's not just Mike. It's Pastor Mike, doggone it. And I have the pipeline to God, and I'm the authority over your spiritual life. And, and you're just like, no, no, there are people who are set apart, but they're always set apart to serve, never to hold power over. Um, and so, so there is this, and, and, then there, and then at the same time, there is this like so sorrowful undercurrent of the people who missed it when the, when the signs that God was there and at work and they missed it. You know, I mean, the most, the, the most brutal one for me is when Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem and he's saying, he's saying how I've longed to gather you in this messianic bear hug. And yet, um, you, you are not choosing the way of peace. 
And he, he prophesies that the city will be destroyed. And, they, and he adds, because you did not recognize the time of God's visitation. And you're like, oh my goodness. Wow. Right? So there's this, there's this sense that God is always at work. There's this sense that there is no certain place, right? It's all sacred in, in some important way and that everyone you meet is sacred and everything you do is sacred. Um, but we're lulled by sleepwalking. And so part of what we've got to do is wake up to cultivate a radar that says, all right, I'm on the lookout for burning bushes. Hmm. Um, and I just want to add fire. I want to add gas to those burning bushes, right? So, so it's, it's the person that's down, you say a kind word to it. It could be as little as that. Um, or it can be as, as big as um, looking at somebody and, and telling them the story about what Jesus has done in your life or whatever. But the point is, it's always happening. It's not something you go do. It's something that's already true. It's like bearing the name. You don't, you don't go witnessing. You are a witness. End of story. Um, in the same way, you don't go religiositing, right? You're always doing this. Everything you do um, is sacred and has significant meaning. Now, that doesn't mean it's fun. That doesn't mean it's compelling. That doesn't mean it's rewarding. Uh, it just means that the possibility of burning bushes is there all the time. All right. the time. But if you're like me, I'm too busy answering email. Or, in my case, not answering email. <laughs> and so while there's this great invitation to learn to recognize the burning bushes around us, there's also this subcurrent. Like the disciples, think about how many times Jesus doesn't get recognized. Right? He's walking across the water. Oh, there's a ghost. Right. Right? Or, or the disciples after the resurrection... They're, these two guys are just totally disappointed. They, their team lost the Super Bowl. Jesus was crucified, and they're just going back home dejected. And then just this guy shows up. They don't recognize him. Mary mistakes him for a gardener. You know, I mean, I, like he shows up behind closed doors, and everyone's like, what? Like, yeah. I won't believe it. I mean, uh, and, and so you have this, this ongoing tension between the disciples who are learning to recognize what Jesus's messiahship will consist of and the divine authentication of it. And at the same time, they just don't have eyes to see. And I'm, I'm exactly in the same space, right? right. I, there are times when it's big and dramatic and it's, oh, I've been on a retreat or I've had this incredible, there was this sermon or there was this experience I had. And then, and then there's this back to normal life. Well, what I want to do is invite normal life into a different lens of viewing. Yeah. That's why that Lord's prayer thing has been so good is because it does exactly that. Like it places God and it causes you to stop and do that every day. And then it yes. places you at within the people that are around you and looking for how to dignify or edify your community of people around you. And it's just a wonderful it feels so much more practical. I just love that that's the, because if you feel like the disciples are almost asking, Hey, how do we, how do we man, how do we maintain that, that what you just said, like the, the high from going to events right. or whatever, you know, like, Hey, Hey, like, all right, we've been doing stuff incorrectly. Like how should we, let, let's talk about something the simplest prayer. How should we do this? And he's like, yeah. all right. He gives you a 30 second prayer that inhabits everything yeah that he's already been talking about and they're like <laughs> and it's such a simple practical way 
but everything you're saying reminds me of that conversation we had with Sky about um, Sky Jatani about the theology of vocation mm. and how the how we have this weird thing where we have anointed the word calling to mean something else, and only certain people are called to yes. this like this what you're basically what you're saying like being able to see and inhabit and but basically we're all called to these things and it makes me think of that email with the um the person with the medications and stuff and how like that person has been called to dignify and to love and to elevate those around them and the same way we all have and that could have been a call to go be a pastor but is a that they followed that call into the medical profession and the same yep. and the yep. same thing applies and it's the same thing as a teacher and it's the same thing as a That's bus right. driver and it's the same thing as yesterday i had like i ordered some stuff from home depot that came and yes like some spackle and yes. it like exploded inside the box and so i was all bummed and i started a conversation with how to replace it with the person and i was already defensive yeah and was entering into the conversation like you're going to try to take advantage of me and that person on the other end of the line it took like an hour, but they were like, Ooh. they went out of their way to be as pleasant and positive and helpful as they could be, mm. which disarmed me completely and put me back into a place of like the DMV thing, like where it's like, I'm sorry that I was defensive to begin mm -hmm. with. Like you treated me with dignity and honor and then did this whole thing. And it made a big difference in my day and made me feel seen and edified by yeah. somebody that was on the other side of a text message thread at Home Depot corporate. Yes. You know, yes. something yeah. you wouldn't think is a calling That's right. to, to be a help center at a Home Depot. Um, but it makes a big difference with how you approach. Oh, my goodness, Tim. Human beings. Well, and, We're and all think, called about, to that. think about the vested interest that religious professionals have in keeping all of those distinctions in place. Yeah. Right. So big, when big were you called to ministry? Yeah. And, and we've what, all sat in churches with people who were called to be pastors. We're both yeah. using air quotes. And, and, and can they I, do not have the gift of teaching. Can I cuss? Yeah, it's your podcast. It's our podcast, Tim, as a collective. It's our podcast. And I say, what a bunch it. of horseshit that whole thing <laughs> is. The insistence on being called pastor or reverend or whatever. Um, right. I just, Jesus has this line that's like, don't call anyone else father because you have one father. Don't call anyone else rabbi. Right. You have one rabbi. Like, yeah. get out of the way of people who set themselves up as intermediaries between you and God. Now, there is a place for the community and the, the uh, ecclesia is to be ordered and structured. And there are people who are set apart for a particular service. Um, but dad gum the idea well, that yeah i just said dad it's just gum. not they're not i know they're not it doesn't make you i don't know i love that when you read the book of matthew and it gets to the end and maybe i'm in, interpreting this incorrectly but when jesus is like you know go down from here and make disciples and you're like well, what does it mean to be a disciple and it's like well you start matthew over again and you mm -hmm. learn to understand what, and if you get to the end and you still don't get it, then go back to the beginning of Matthew again and start over and just keep learning. What does it mean to be a disciple, lifelong learner? And then you get to the Sermon on the Mount and it's like, man, this is all about how I live and exist amongst other people, right? how I treat them, how I, and that's what we're all called to. Yep. yep. I don't know. It's just a, it's a beautiful structure that's not out of reach, but it is so easy to 
lose grasp of it when you like what you're saying when you're sleepwalking yeah. when you're yeah. cru- on cruise control through life and and so I want to rebuke me and the church for fostering sleepwalking for saying yeah. hey hey guys don't miss church most important hour of the week no it's not the job I got into a massive argument with somebody at a at a, a church over how he accused me of just being juvenile and you know this this hour is supposed to be the most beautiful hour of the week and so it's the best music and the best preaching and da 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 and i said well sir i totally disagree with you i i think it's the the hour that reminds us that all the other hours are supposed to be beautiful too Yeah. yeah and that fundamental difference um you know really uh is uh provoking um, between generations, you know, whether it's the praise music that's now used versus the, the choral hymns and whatever else, that was the context of that. But it's the idea that, that some people are in ministry and the rest of you have secular jobs. I mean, that it's just evil and it's not malicious, not always, but it can be, but it's just not true. And, um, the, the idea that, that somehow I'm, you know, because I'm God's elect spokesperson, I can never be questioned or doubted. Like one of the biggest things we've done in our little church community has been we we allow we allow people to interrupt and ask questions, and that that means the sermons you know go all over the place. And it's like there was yeah. I, I love this. There was one dude, there was one guy who interrupts me, and he's like. Dude, are you going to go to that totally cliched place of like, just, you know, God is good even when things hurt or something, you know, like totally skeptical, totally like, I'm not even buying what it is you're selling, like, right? And, um, and because the posture we want to convey is we're co-learners, right? We're together. Now I'm set apart by the community to study. And so I bring the conversation to the table, but that does not make me infallible whatsoever. And so, um, and, and I'm saying, and, and the reason I'm fiercely against churches that still practice this is because I've done it. Um, and that was the tradition I was raised in is that, you know, we're clergy, they're laity, they're sheep, we're shepherds. They don't know what's good for right. them. I mean, that was the business context. <laughs> we're the leadership, they're not. Mm-hmm. And, um, and undergirding those assessments were relational dynamics that just for me, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's not true of everyone, but for me, we're not congruent with the kingdom. And so I, I really want to stick it to people um, who insist on this distinction between the priesthood and then everybody else, or the ministry totally. and then everything else, or church versus all the other time you have, or whatever. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important. I think they are important. But they're important in ways that are invitational and loving, not compelling, coercive, and you know, significance finding. They're not boundary focused. Yes, uh, dude, great point. Absolutely boundary focused. So, so the point of this message was not just about evangelism, as it's been consistently construed. I'm going to go share my faith now. Yeah. No, as we've said, that's that's you're always doing this. But I want to take it a step further and say there are burning bushes all around us if we learn to pay attention because God meets us in certain places, not just in religious places. 
And so there are a couple of practices that have been really helpful um, for me um, about learning to recognize burning bushes. And I'm really not good at this. But here are the things that I've learned to do. Number one, and these aren't steps for crying out loud. These are just things. I've, I've been mistaken so many times. Number one, and, and, and no shock here, read the freaking Gospels. Because the Gospels were written to teach you what Jesus sounds like and where he's right. found. It's like, if I tried, if you said to me, hey, what's your mom sound like on the phone? How could I describe her voice? Right? There's no <laughs> way. You just have to hear her. Right. And for a lot of us, we follow people who follow people who follow Jesus. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, we follow right. people totally. who follow yeah. Jesus. And so we're like yeah. one or two steps removed. And right. so we don't know what Jesus sounds like. And so that's why easily can easy, anything can get baptized in his name because totally. we have no idea what he sounds like. And so part of the reason we read the Gospels is to know um, his movements, his work, or his priorities, um, the way his voice sounds. So when you mm -hmm. come into contact with things that aren't Sermon on the Mount-ish, you know immediately, yeah. well, this yep. even if it's called Christian, it's not. Um, second thing, you, one of the things you learn as you go into the Gospels is that God, the burning bushes are found in the places you least expect. Mm -hmm. So they're found in weakness. They're found yeah. in humility. They're small. They're slow. They're unspectacular. They're they're are um, they're surprising. Like you cannot read the Gospels and come away thinking, "Oh, this God is totally predictable," right? Because everyone is just looking at Jesus, going, "Nope, there's no freaking way he's from God. There's no way, no way, no way, he's from God." And if, if that was true of people who had devoted themselves as God's chosen people to the reading of Torah, the study, and the zeal of obedience to the commands, how much more is it true of us who just take a wonderful devotional minute verse out of context and, you know, think, well, if it's love, it's Jesus, and if it's Jesus, it's love, and then define love however we think love should be defined. Right. And it's just one of those things where it's like, no, no, no. When you read Jesus, you realize he, you're the least likely place to find him is among religious people. And boy, as a freaking religious person, that is such a great challenge. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, and I'm getting this from a guy named Leonard Sweet. Two Leonards mentioned on the podcast today. Wow. Yep. Two Leonards for the price of one. Spock. Leonard Sweet practices something he calls randomizing rituals. And this is this speaks to me, man, because I'm a guy. I literally drive the same th two or three places in the same way, wearing the same things, ordering the same things. That's just that's who I am. I am a routine because my brain goes everywhere. I like to just have every other decision just made routine. Totally. Yep. So I just I don't like if I have to focus on something like, you know, I don't know. Like, okay, where should we go eat? I, I, that is a waste of brain space for me. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, nope, I just go to the same spots. But a Leonard Sweet recommends, and these are some of the things he does, and it was really challenging to me, but he's like, have, have someone else pick a movie instead of you. Have someone else pick the movie that you go see. Um, 
pick up five periodicals at random and read them on an airplane. Front, you know, cover to cover. Things that you'd never, never, you know, so I've done, I've actually spent airplane time doing that. And it, it was yeah. really cool. Um, take the back road, not the fastest route when you're plugging in your GPS. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm guilty of not ever doing this. But his point is to try to get us off autopilot. Yeah. Um, ask, I've done this, and this, this was great. I, my palate is the most boring palate. So I was raised as a Midwest boy, meat and potatoes. Best meal ever, pot roast, right? <laughs> Do you want a vegetable? Sure, I'll take some corn on the cob. I mean, literally, that was it. Just rinse and repeat. Pancakes and egg for breakfast, turkey sandwich for lunch, meat and potatoes for dinner. That's what we did. End of yeah. story. And when I'd go out to eat, I would just order those things. And so whenever I, um, uh, when I read this years ago, I started doing this where I would go to a restaurant and ask the server what was the best thing on the menu and then just order it. Yeah. And it was so good for me because uh, I discovered this whole world of food that I had no idea existed. Um, uh Let's see, what else? Uh, he'd had um, cultivate different voices on your social media feed. So mm-hmm. I, have, I have people on my feed who I so, I, I so want to mute, but I don't because their perspective is a valid perspective at the table of diverse ideas. And they, right. you know what I mean? Like, ooh, that really gets me. Um, so there are these things that you can do. Uh, there have been seasons where I've just put wake up on a little post-it note and kind of had it around a burning bush or whatever. Um, the point that we're over making, or at least that I am, Tim is wonderful. Tim has the <laughs> gift of asking great questions and making points. Mike has the gift of over making points um, and lots of talking. So well a happy medium. <coughs> and and Keep indeed, the shit balanced. Well, yes, you... You bring balance to the force. You were the chosen one. Um, <laughs> you were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. You are my brother. Yes. You were the chosen one. Anyway, sorry. Uh, more millennial. Oh, millennials would get that, right? They grew up with the prequels. Yeah, that um, was there. So if you want to... <coughs> Man, Sorry. I got to quit smoking this pipe. Um, Moved on from the vape. Got the real thing. (laughs) I'm trying to think of something new every week. This lingering cough after the latest bout of COVID. So it's just staying there for weeks and weeks and weeks. If you stand too too close to a burning bush and inhale all that smoke, it's... Bro, that's exactly what it is. And if you see a bush, think to yourself, I'm going to go over and see this thing about why this bush is burning and not burning up. Yeah, wear a mask. And take your shoes off for crying out loud, guys. <laughs> but biggest point is, so often we look to special activities, special times, and special people. When the invitation of Jesus is to see him always at work with everyone, everyone. So uh, when I see a neighbor, and, and when I see a neighbor walking, um, one of the first thoughts I will try to have, and again, I sleepwalk with the best of them, is... God's at work in that person's life because God loves them. Yeah. And, and that's the judgment I make, you know? And my job as somebody, it's like, we'll end with this. It's like um, radio signals or internet signals. They're always there, but you need a receiver to kind of tune into them. You know what totally. I mean? Yeah. 
And uh, like radio signals, it's like, oh, they're all around us. But all of a sudden I paid for Sirius XM and bam, here's all this stuff for free. Not free, but you understand what I'm saying. The, the signals were already there, but you needed help to tune into them. And part of what um, the work of Jesus in his kingdom is, t- is tuning us in. So he'll, when he says things like, have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have ears to hear, let them right. hear. That's what he's saying. He's saying, or he even says, he's like, you know the signs about the weather, but look for the signs of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so part of what faith is, is this learning, being on the lookout for burning bushes uh, that don't have to be, you know, explicitly Christian or religious, but can just be places where you're simply pointing out, oh, God's at work and I want, I want to join in on that thing. Yeah. And all the pressure's off then. It's not up to me to love yeah. these people. It's not up to me to rescue anybody. It's not up to me to save anybody, right? Yeah. The pressure is just, I want to pour fuel on that. That's yeah. it. That's it. That's it. I just love, I was thinking yesterday about for God so love the world. And I was thinking about it through the lens of condemnation, how weird some of the rhetoric is that God, that how nasty so many people are that said that prayer Mm. to invite Jesus into their heart and that God chooses to love them and that there's all these wonderful, nice people, you know, that haven't and God is going to make them burn. But then I started thinking about just like you and I are two white hetero American men, but we're both, we're pretty different. Like your, your sleepwalking autopilot is different than my sleepwalking autopilot. And in the randomization thing helps and works for both of the, both of us in different ways, but with the same result Yeah, and we're wired so different, but the way that God is trying to, uh, be seen in both of our lives is that's right. He, he's he's just as intentional with both of us. Yeah. And then I start thinking about that through just the diversity of humanity across the board and how just wonderfully different all of us oh are. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And how much God is so into all of that. Yep. And you know, I grew up. I lost a lot of that because I grew up in a white evangelical mm. uh, circle. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Jesus was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, he was the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, like, white Jesus. And I've been doing some research on worship stuff and was reading about the colonization of worship music yesterday. Ooh! Ooh. And wow. uh, And just how much we work against diversity in everything. And how much God is at work and loves the diversity of humanity. Mm. And I th- so much of our ministry, our evangelism seems to be, is colonization. I know that's become a hot, a, a word that stings now also, but um, yeah, we, we, through our ministry, we try to conform people in more ways than just saying, hey, look at this beautiful thing that god has done here and instead we're like we try to remold everybody and take away their the things that are beautiful about them yeah and it's it's just really sad and and you can see so much of what jesus was doing was not that like edifying everybody who was ostracized and right so when i think about evangelism and i think about 
God loving the world so much that this was a worthy investment to come down and become human and die and do this whole thing. Yeah. It's just this really broad, beautiful, like intentional. And so that's, that's right. why like all these little practices that help like everything you just said, every, all these little practices that help break up the sleepwalking and cultivate our imaginations about yeah. God yes. and each other. Cause we have, we're so vanilla with how we think about other people and how we think about God and that there are 31 flavors of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> makes Amen. me excited. It makes me excited for the whole process. It makes me excited to exist amongst other people. And yeah. you do lose that on Sunday mornings often, not everywhere, but often. No, not everywhere. But there is a there is a church growth principle that literally says the quickest way to grow church is reach people just like you. Yes. So Yes, what in the world? I know, right? And <laughs> so we all bought gross. It. We all bought it. I learned this morning about how about how great thou art. Yeah, I won't spoil it. I'm trying to develop a little. I know. I'm excited. It, I'm excited. Oh, oh, oh! There's Hannah. There's Hannah. Sorry, we didn't get Seffy today, but he loves you. We love you. God loves you. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.